morning, St. Michael's. Will you stand? Lord, we're just so grateful to be in your house this morning. I just pray that you would let these songs rise to you. Let us listen to the words and really press in with them as a prayer to you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. First commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray together the collect. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Grant us so to be joined together in the unity of the Spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Children, come on up to be blessed and sent to Sunday school. Perfect. Stand right here. How many of these are... Uh... <clears throat> How many of you kids are going to grow up to serve the Lord? Yes, of course you are. you got to think in those terms. I'm going to grow up to serve the living God. What a, an amazing accomplishment that will be to... Lord, we just pray, each one of these children, that you would answer every need in their life and you'd cause them to grow from blessing to blessing. Give them a great summer, too. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's first reading comes from 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1, commencing. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Malachites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is a book, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. This is the word of the Lord. This 
This morning's psalm is Psalm 30. We'll read it responsively by the asterisk. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. For his anger is but for a moment. Weeping may endure for a night. Now in my prosperity I said, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. I cried out to you, O Lord. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. You have turned from for me my mourning into dancing. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As now. Our second reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. St. Mark, chapter 5, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? 
And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. How's that? Is that good or do we want to switch? Okay. Okay, good morning. Let's just open with a word of prayer that feels appropriate. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, to hear the story that we read in the Bible, and to know that we are called to be a part of that story. I pray that as as we listen to the sermon as I preach the sermon, that your word would go out and that it would not return void, but it would be fruitful in our lives, transforming, life-giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to talk about this guy. You've probably never heard of him. He's not really that big of a deal. His name is David, right? David and Goliath. I know it's a little-known story. Um, But we are going to talk about David Because he's been in our readings lately, but he's been on my heart for about six months now. I felt like God was putting on my heart that we needed to preach about David. So when we looked in the lectionary, you know, we saw there he is. He's coming up, and we'll do some readings about him. And then we found out that actually there's two options for the readings for this summer. And the sacramentary actually prescribed the other option. So we weren't going to be reading about David. (laughs) So, you know, I told Bishop, I was like, can we please read about David, I want to preach about him, and Bishop said, of course. And so that's why we've been hearing our Old Testament out of the book of 1 Samuel. And the reason that I think God put David on my heart is because of, in fact, it's propitious we're starting it today because it's our foundation day today. The foundation of the beginning of the CEC, the beginning of what was now St. Michael's Church, right? Of course, there's a longer history before that, but in 1992, Um, we founded the CEC and St. Michael's Church with the consecration of Archbishop Adler. And I think it's actually God's timing that we're talking about David today. I was supposed to preach last week, and we flipped it around because our Father and the Lord wanted to bring a Father's Day message, and I was so encouraged by that. 
And I think God planned it that way because now we're talking about David. And I want you to know that part of our foundation at St. Michael's, if you don't know this yet, is that we are a warrior church. And we're a church that is comfortable with the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. And all throughout David's life, as you'll see when we walk through it, he had physical battles, real armies uh, coming against him, trying to kill him. But I want you to know today that the spiritual war that we are in is no less important than any physical war that's ever been fought. As we're told in the gospel, right, Jesus says, do not fear the one who can take your life, fear the one who can take your soul, right? And so the spiritual battle actually has higher stakes because you might die in an actual war, but if your spirit is assaulted and you give in, then you lose the most valuable part of you. And so I know that this is something that it's easy for us in comfortable modern-day America to forget that there's actually a battle going on. When you wake up in the morning and you get your instant coffee out of your Keurig and you, you know, drive to work in your car that has plenty of gas and you work at a job in air conditioning and you just, everything is almost served up on a platter to us so easily. It can be easy for us to forget that we're actually doing something every day that has eternal consequences. Now, I'm not saying that brewing your Keurig coffee is going to affect your afterlife. I don't think it will in most cases, right? But I am saying that we need to ratchet up our awareness of what God's doing, even in what we feel as the mundane day-to-day of our life. Just because we don't see a giant standing on the hilltop, armed to the teeth, ready to cut your head off, does not mean there isn't a giant on a hilltop in the spirit, ready to cut your head off. And it's an apt metaphor because really the assault is happening right here in your mind. The assault that's trying to get you to doubt the goodness of God. That's trying to get you to lust after the things of this world instead of putting your eyes on the things eternal. I don't want to overstate this, but I don't think we really can. We are talking here about eternity. And while it can come off as kind of a harsh message to start on Sunday morning, hey, guess what? You're in eternal danger. I'm actually more talking about our eternal hope. The fact that if you choose day in and day out to submit yourself to what God wants to do in your life, you can't imagine how good your life can be now and in eternity. You really can't imagine how good God is and how good his plans are for you. So yes, of course, we need to be aware of the danger But more than that, we need to hold on to the ever-certain hope of our salvation. And so I just want to start talking about this from that perspective. You could throw that picture up there. I think it's really apt that we're talking about this on Foundation Day. There's somewhat of a graphic image that Michelangelo painted in the Sistine Chapel of David getting ready to cut off the head of Goliath. And you'll see that throughout the message, and we'll return to it at the end of this story. And so I want you to be aware of that image, though, as we talk through these things. We're going to go back a couple weeks. Two weeks ago, our reading in Samuel was about uh, the prophet Samuel anointing David king over Israel. And it's a really weird thing that's happening. Could you imagine that there's a king who literally has the power of life and death over you? Not like our president, 
who has plenty of power, but doesn't have the power to say, hey, I don't like that person. Why don't you kill them? No, our president doesn't have that power. But the kings in Israel did. If Saul didn't like you, if you offended him, he could have soldiers come to your house and kill you. No trial, no anything. So put yourself in that mindset. And then God tells Samuel, hey, you know, I want you, the most public prophet in all of Israel, someone who gets noticed everywhere he goes, to go to the city and anoint a new king. And Samuel's like, what are you talking about, God? He's shocked. He knows that God is taking the kingdom from Saul, but he doesn't understand God's plan. He's like, that sounds ludicrous because you know what's going to happen? Saul's going to find me and he's going to kill me. And so God goes, okay, fine. Go and pretend that you're offering sacrifices. You can do it kind of on the down low. The only people that will know about it is Jesse, the father. I mean, what a brilliant name. And David, the son, right? And the people of his family. And so Samuel shows up because you know what Samuel is about? Samuel's about obedience. Just something to keep in mind as we see him creep up throughout this story. He's always willing to obey the voice of the Lord. So he shows up and he sees first, of course, the oldest child of Jesse. And so we'll start there in 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you want to follow along, we'll be in 16 and 17 throughout the message. Uh, And it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, as he's looking at this Adonis, this wonderful specimen of a man, I think of him as like a Michael Phelps character, you know. He's standing there proud, you know. He should be leading the kingdom. And God says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that could be your phrase for the entirety of David's life. Remember that, that we aren't to look at the outward appearance, but we're actually to pay attention to what's going on in the heart. Another verse, 2 Chronicles 16:9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's an encouragement for us today. Do you feel that your heart is weak? Do you feel tired? Do you feel overwhelmed? Well, commit your heart fully to the Lord because he's looking for the opportunity to strengthen you. He's looking for those people who are willing to commit wholly to him. The war that I was talking about earlier, well, it's actually all about your heart. It takes place often in your head, but it's all about your heart or is your heart devoted to God? What is sidetracking your thoughts in an attempt to steal your heart? Is it fear? Fear of COVID, fear of the government, fear of loneliness, fear of not being good enough, fear of failure. What is sidetracking your heart? Or maybe on the opposite, instead of the the stick, you know, it's the carrot. Maybe it's the desire for money or earthly valuables. Maybe you're jealous of the wealth or the lifestyle of those people around you or the promotion of Bob who just got promoted above you when you thought you should. In the midst of these day-to-day interactions, we need to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. And I'll tell you, if you ask God to show you those things, he is generous in revealing those things to us. If you ask God to tell you what's going on in your heart, he will reveal to you what he wants you to change, where he wants you to go. Because he wants us, he's way more concerned with our heart than he is with our stuff. 
He's way more concerned with our heart than he is with the job promotion that we think we deserve. I say all that to say God's battle right now that he's fighting and he will be victorious because it says he will complete the work he started in us is to change us so that when he brings us into that destiny, that ever certain hope, that we will be the people who can walk into the purposes he has for us. Don't look at what man sees, but remember it's all about our heart. And so we go in 1 Samuel 16. Finally, he looks at all of the sons of Jesse, and not one of them matched God's criteria. And so Samuel says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, this one made me laugh, because what I'm thinking about here is that if you want to become a king, your first step is not to be a shepherd. It's not. Being a shepherd was like the lowest rung on the totem pole. The only thing lower than that was like a beggar or a Gentile. Filthy Gentile would be worse, I guess. But, you know, right? It's like the shepherds were not respected in this culture. They were just watching the flocks. It's not like he owned the flocks. Most of us, like let's say you're a bagger at a grocery store and you say, I'm anointed to be king. Everybody would laugh. That's what a shepherd is. You're just caring for other people's stuff. But you know what? At the same time, this is the man who ends up writing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus comes along and how does he identify himself? As the good shepherd. Pastor, the word that we use to refer to the leaders of the church, means shepherd. There's something that God was forming in him, an intuition, that if you asked him how to train to be a king, nobody would suggest go be a shepherd. Nobody. And yet, that's who God wanted to lead his people. He wanted somebody with the heart of a shepherd. And we see that over and over again. Jesus uses that illustration, right? The good shepherd is the one who leaves the 99 sheep to care for the one. So there's a heart thing that God is working out in David's life. And he may have felt as the youngest of eight sons, all of them apparently good-looking, talented, people that the father was proud of, he may have felt that he was a nobody. He may have felt that the, the, the dreams in his heart were never going to come to fruition. And yet, if he only knew that shepherding was exactly what God was using to shape his heart. So if you're in a job that you don't like, if you're in a position that you don't like, ask God to show you what he's doing. Because you never know what he's using to shape you for the purposes he's laid out before you. And so Samuel anoints David and says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You know that spirit, the spirit in David that slays Goliath, that empowers him to become the greatest king in Israel's history, that transforms him into a man where it's said in Scripture, he is a man after God's own heart. That same spirit is the spirit that you received on the day you were anointed into the royal family at baptism. It's the same spirit that we walk in day by day. And yet we're stuck living these half-hearted lives because we get distracted by the world and the things around us. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm playing too much blame on you, but that's at least how I feel. I get to the end of the week sometimes and I go, man, what did I accomplish this week? Who did I love well? Who did I encourage? So we need to remember that we are anointed to act and live as royalty in the kingdom of God. And we need to think about what that means. But just like David we get told that message, and then we go back to our daily jobs that don't feel very royal. 
David goes back right after this, this huge lightning rod moment with God where the Spirit rushes upon him and he goes back to shepherding the sheep. What is happening here? Well, I'll argue that God wasn't finished forming his heart. That David needed more shepherding in order to become the shepherd of God's people, Israel. And so, once again, as we have these moments and these encounters with God, as we receive revelation and inspiration from the Word of God, the promises that we steward, sometimes you just go right back and you do your job after that. And we trust and hold on to the fact that God is starting something, doing something in us that will come to completion. God wasn't done with David. And so during that time, David's back. He's shepherding the sheep. He's anointed king over Israel, and he's just not doing anything. No increase in his authority. But we are told that he grew in prudent speech, that he became a warrior during this time, and that God's favor was upon him. So I will say, even though you might have this promise and you go back to your job and you feel like nothing's there, look for God's favor and God's equipping in your life because something did change in David's heart. He was being shaped to become the king of Israel. And so the Philistines come and they invade Israel. And the whole army of Israel, these people are warriors, are cowering because they sent one guy out there And he looked like Dave Batista or something, right? Goliath gets up there and he challenges Israel and he says, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to do to you, I'm going to feed you to the crows. Send somebody to fight me that I can enslave your people. It's fascinating because there's this connection that came up in my mind as I was reading this. It's like we are the people of God, you and I, just like Israel's the people of God. And yet what is the world doing? What are the Philistines doing? They're trying to enslave us. They're trying to intimidate us and enslave us. And if you don't see that, ask God to open it up to you. Because you know what's the only thing worse than being confronted with a giant in your life? Not seeing the giant in your life that's about to take your head off. That's worse, right? So God wants you to be aware of what's going on around you, what's happening in your life. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be thinking the way that the army of Israel was. They're the people of God. And they've been called out by the world. But, you know, I hope we don't respond like they do. Because they're cowering in their tents and nobody will face this giant. So, you know, David's coming to bring food to his brothers. Because, like I said, at least in his own family, nothing's changed. They're treating him like the little shepherd boy still. And he's running errands and he overhears Goliath lay down this challenge. And he says to them, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? If I have one goal today, I would hope that you get an ounce of that spirit of David. Because there's a lot of uncircumcised Philistines out there who are telling us that we're nobody. That the church is insignificant. That we've moved beyond the church. We're in a post-Christian society. And the beliefs that you hold, pro-life, for a man and a woman getting married and starting a family and that that's the basis of God's kingdom, that those beliefs are outmoded and outdated and you should just give up and go home. And yet David, like all of us, says, who are these uncircumcised Philistines who would challenge the army of the living God? We need to have a warrior spirit in us. Now that doesn't mean we take out 
a sling and start killing people, right? Our weapons are not of this world. They're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds and principalities. Our weapons are singing the words of worship that we sang today. Talking about God being the only king forever, no matter what we're told. So he hears Goliath and he challenges these cowering warriors. This is a boy and says, what in the world is happening that he should defy the armies of the living God? And even from that moment, I would tell you the battle was won for David. That insight that this is an uncircumcised Philistine and he's a part of the army of the living God was the battle. It was won. But he had to walk it out. We know that God has taken the victory. That there's not a problem we have that he didn't solve through his death and resurrection 2,000 years ago. And yet we have to walk it out. So now, here comes the challenge. He has the revelation. He has the insight. He sees clearly. He doesn't see as man sees, a giant, an unapproachable giant. He sees God the way that God sees, as an uncircumcised Philistine. That's what God sees. And then he starts having the challenges. His oldest brother, probably the one he looked up to, had a lot of love and affection for. I imagine that's how my younger brothers think about me. No, but he probably did, right? He looks up to his brother, and his brother comes against him, and he says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? So he's already, he's like demoting him. He's like, You might be a shepherd, but just a few sheep in the wilderness. That's the only thing you're good for. Who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness with? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. That's pretty discouraging. No respect, and he's calling into question his character. What do we see today? If I were to stand up and say in any public forum, I am pro-life. You should not get an abortion, and it should not be legal because it is murder. What would be the accusation? You racist? You bigot? You misogynist? You don't think women should have control? It's a moral attack. And do you know what David does? He does the exact right thing. He shrugs it off and moves on to the mission. He doesn't stop to fight his brother over this. He knows that his motivation is to serve God. He doesn't get tangled on a Facebook thread trying to prove that he's not a racist or a bigot. Instead, he goes to the mission. He moves on. He says, what is this? I was just speaking the word. And then he walks away and he goes to accomplish the mission before him. I want to encourage you today, not necessarily to draw attention to yourself and be somebody standing on the street corner with a sign holding up our beliefs, but I do want to encourage you that when people call you a racist and a bigot, you don't have to listen. You really don't. When you speak up against the sin and depravity of the world, there will be accusations, period. When you live, even just my mom, by having nine children and putting it on the back of our van, she was approached by people who said, you crazy person, don't you know that the environment is failing? How can you have nine kids? Who are you? That was pretty simple. I mean, like just having babies and people are mad, yeah, that's right. Because there's uncircumcised Philistines out there. And it's not the people. It's not about the people who hold those beliefs. It's about the fact that there's a spiritual war going on to convince you that the truth, the word of life, the things that bring peace and hope are actually bigoted or wrong or hateful or outdated. We don't have to listen to that. It's just not the truth. So David goes to King Saul, the authority 
figure, and he says, I'm going to fight this guy, Goliath. And his older brother gives him a hard time, and now Saul, the expert of warfare, is going to tell him how he doesn't know what he's talking about. You're not able to go against this Philistine and to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. All the experts will tell you, you're wrong. I promise, you're wrong. You don't need to believe the things that you read in the Bible because science has disproved them. I'm kind of hitting on this one theme because I think it's, it's almost overwhelming how pervasive these ideas have become in the movies we watch, the TV shows we watch, the books we read, the things we see on social media. There's a real assault against the way that we believe and live our lives. And so David goes to a man that we were told in the last chapter he loved, his authority figure, and even he cuts him down. But you know what? David stands on the revelation that God gave him. This is an uncircumcised Philistine. I'm a part of the living army of God. And so David says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. That's the revelation that he got in the beginning, and he's just coming back to it, and he's standing on it. And it doesn't matter what's in his way, he is standing on the word that God gave him, the revelation that God gave him. And what does, we keep saying uncircumcised Philistine in this story. What does that mean? Well, we know in the New Testament that the circumcision we're talking about is a circumcision of the heart. It's about your heart. And so when we're saying uncircumcised Philistine, we're talking about people who haven't met and been transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. Right? They don't know that they are coming against the living God. So that's why I say it's not about the people. It's about the ideas that we're facing in this world. Although the people can get in the way sometimes, right? And so we have to learn how to fight this battle. Because like I said, you don't get a slingshot in this war. You just don't. You have to learn how to love and to use the, use the weapons we've been given. Prayer, worship, love. In fact, it's very similar to what's going on here because Saul tries to convince David, use my weapons. And David goes, these are not the weapons God gave me. In the same way, we need to know the weapons God gave us. Now, I think it's kind of funny because a lot of preachers will go straight to, you've got to kill your lions and your bears before you can kill your Goliaths, which I totally agree, right? But David didn't start with lions and bears. When he was learning the slingshot, he probably started with squirrels, birds, rocks, standing trees. And I think some of us have issues with this story because we haven't even started killing the squirrels. We haven't even started at the first place that God asks us to go to learn how to use the weapons of our warfare. So we need to start at the beginning. You need to pray. You need to worship the Lord God. You need to be equipped with the scriptures. Right? My promise to you is that if you press in to the weapons that God's given you, then he will graduate you to the lions and the bears. And the reason it's important is because what is David doing? He's actually saving the entire nation of Israel because he fought the battles that God gave him in his own life. And there's a battle for each one of us. Every one of us has a destiny in the kingdom of God. 
where it won't be about just us defeating our own personal lions and bears, squirrels and birds. It'll actually be about our families, our churches, our communities, and us standing on the things that God has given us, the truth that God has given us, and loving the people who come into our life could be the thing that saves a family, a community, a church, and a nation. I don't want to just be a rah-rah message, like, let's go out and let's do it, right? That's not the point. The point is, even though you may not have grandiose ideas about what God wants to do in your life, just by committing to do the simple things that he set in front of you, you have a grand purpose in his kingdom. If all you do your whole life is raise a godly family, encourage the body of Christ, and serve in your job as though Jesus Christ was in charge— that's establishing the kingdom of God far and wide in our community. I will tell you, it makes a difference when you encounter a Christian in the world. I used to work at Chipotle, and there was one guy who started to work there who was also a Christian, and the whole atmosphere of the restaurant changed when he walked in. Now, every one of you should be thinking, why didn't it change when you walked in, Jesse? And I had to learn from this guy. I had to learn. He just came in with such a joy and a peace. And when everything was going down the drain, when there was lines out the doors and we could not get the food out fast enough or we were running out of things or we couldn't get the dishes clear, that was the guy I wanted to be next to. Not because he was the best, but because he was unflappable. He was peace and calm in the midst of it. It was exciting. He made it fun to go to work. Now, I say that as just a small example, but you don't know the witness that you have when you bring the joy of Christ into wherever you go. God can use even our smallest acts of obedience. So start with the rocks and the trees and the squirrels and the birds, but know that there are lions and bears on the way, that there's a Goliath that you may be called to face, and stand on the word of God that he is able to save you. As you do this, you will develop a history with God. And that's what David says at the end, right? He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The reason David's able to stand on that is because he's been walking with the Lord. Even though he's young, he spent his first, let's say he's 20 here. Who knows? Maybe he's 18. But he's a young man, and he spent those years trusting God and following God. So when the test came, he knew, if God can save me from those things, he can save me from Goliath. Now, I just want to acknowledge one thing as I'm saying this. It says that if the lion wouldn't give him back the sheep, that he grabbed him by the beard and struck him. There's some elements of this story that feel absurd. But you know what? When I hear the testimony of people who have walked with the Lord, there's the same type of stories. Something that could never happen, and God empowered them to overcome that difficulty. So I don't want us to get lost in the fantastical elements of the story. I think they're true. I think they really happened. But don't get caught up on that. The point is that God is able to handle anything that comes your way. And so I have to read, as we close up, David's last speech when the Philistine, his final battle, right? He faces his brother, shrugs off the moral condemnation. I meant to say something about that. Don't trust people who presume to know your heart. Don't trust people who try and tell you what you feel and think. Because nobody out there is a mind reader. You need to be solid in who you are in Jesus. And the people who are trying to tell you, well, that comes from this motivation, you don't have to listen to them. That was the thing I was trying to remember back then. Why do you not have to listen to them? 
Because God is the one who searches the heart, not man. And they don't have a right to tell you who you are. God holds your identity. Sorry, that was, just, that was an aside, going back. But this, this Philistine, right, is laughing at him. And you know what? We are all really good, generally speaking, but it's often when we face that actual challenge face-to-face that we find our fear. You can imagine being David, walking up, and he goes, am I a dog that you should send me a stick? Am I a, like, Goliath is mocking him. And now when his life's on the line, what is David going to do? Well, let's just read it because it's just too good. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword or the spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I don't know if it gets much better than that. He got it all right. It's not about the fact that he's a really good slinger and he's killed a lion and a bear. It's about the fact that God himself is on his side. As soon as you start talking about how good you are in the midst of your trials, you're missing it. It's because God has rescued him again and again. He could have said, well, I must be the best shepherd in town because I've been killing lions and bears. I didn't let one lamb get taken by a bear. I'd track him down and kill him. It could have been all about him. And we'll see later in his life, there are times when David falls to that trap. But I encourage you, when you're facing your demons, when you're facing your battles, when you're facing the person or the the idea that comes against the purposes of God in your life, remember, it's all about him. If nothing else, it should encourage you. Because if the battle belongs to the Lord, then there's a chance. If it's all about what you can do, there's no chance. Because you know what? The whole world who are outside of the church are against the purposes of God. They live in an ideology that's against the purposes of God. And it's not only our, our obligation to face those oppositions, but it's our opposition to save the people in the process. And if we tried to do that by ourselves, we would fail miserably because we're just not that good looking. We're not that persuasive. We're not that charismatic. We're not that powerful. But God is. Right? And so when you leave this place and you think about the story of David, I want you to remember two things. First of all, the people who oppose the purposes of God are uncircumcised Philistines. And they don't deserve the fear that we give them. And the ideas that come against the church of God can be dismissed because ultimately God prevails. And the second thing I want you to remember is that It's all about what he is going to do in you. That if you tally up the scores, like I like playing the strategy game where you have, you know, armies and you move them around on the board and then you end up fighting them out. I used to play with Kenneth actually back in the day. Rome Total War, one of the best games I've ever played. Lots of fun. And you move those armies around and there's times where your army encounters a bigger army. And it's like, okay, this isn't going to go well. And there was a strategy we used to do where we'd run away with our cavalry. And if you let the timer on the battle, run out without losing all your men, it would be a draw. 
and you get to run away. So we would just run all over this little map, and the big army's chasing you, and et cetera, et cetera. The second thing I want you to know is that when the battle belongs to the Lord, there is no army that can stand against you, period. The numbers, like we talked about, there's a theme here. God doesn't see as man sees. He doesn't look on the appearance. He looks at the heart. And so the numbers might look like you're fighting against something too big to handle. But as soon as you add God into the mix, as soon as you magnify God and not the problem, you'll see that the battle is already won. You just have to walk it out. Amen? All right. Great word. See, God loves to do that. He loves to demonstrate to us over and over again. He wants to use ordinary people because in his relationship with you, you're not ordinary. You're extraordinary. And so instead of uh, picking Saul, this, you know, great-looking he-man, he makes a, fall, a, a fool out of him, and he picks David the smallest, the least. And then he shows us through David's life what a real incredible man he was. He's trying to show you what real incredible men and women you can be too. Every one of us has that opportunity to uh, excel in the things of the Lord. Okay, what page are we on, Jesse? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken to the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for remission of sins, and look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. That your name may be glorified by all people. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacrament. 
We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. That they may be delivered from their distress. Give to the departed eternal rest. Let light perpetual shine upon us. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. May we also come to share in your heavenly kingdom. We all ask in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace the Lord be always with you. And with your spirit. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. <laughs> Where's our spirit? <laughs> Amen. Hey, I got a great announcement today. Congratulate Chris Carpenter. She is a grandmother again. Hooray. Oh, my goodness. Ella Marie Onich. All right. And mother and baby are doing well, and they're hopefully coming home today, right? Coming home today. So Wow. Great news. Um, a couple of other things coming up on our calendar. First one is the youth retreat is happening on August 5 through 7. August 5 through 7. If you're not going. <laughs> Man, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. Am I'm I, saying if you're not going because old? you're me. <laughs> right am I too old to go? Well, I think we're too old. We'll have our own retreat. Then. Yeah. Man, yeah. don't miss that, though, I'll tell you. I remember when I was a kid, it was like some of the greatest memories I have were youth It's retreats. going to be fantastic. they got a good plan and a good place. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be a car wash on the 10th of July to help fund that trip. So uh, get your car washed. It will help the kids, and you get a clean car. Now, how much, how much does it cost to get your car washed from these young people? I don't know. Do we have a price, Chessie? Free donations accepted. Free oh, donations that's, that's accepted. Even better. So I figured twenty-five dollars a car. How many cars do I got, Karen? Six. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a tough week for me. Yes. <laughs> but a good cause. A good cause. Amen. Uh, today is Foundation Day, and and we have for many many years. Uh, Celebrated Foundation Day by taking an offering, and it, it, it all started here. Started here in 1992, uh, June 26th, with the beginning of the denomination, the consecration of our first bishop, and we have a long tradition of this of taking up an offering on this day from all of the communicant members of the CEC in order to help provide a fund to help churches everywhere in the CEC to own a place to worship. So we want to encourage everybody to participate. Um, I don't know what they say, like $10 per person in your family? Yeah, yeah. we started out like uh, March of Dimes, which yeah. none of you remember. But uh, I was a little kid, and uh, 
Jerry Lewis and the you put dimes in these little sheets they gave you and you yeah. did enough of them and collect enough of them and they were able to beat polio with the money that they raised Amen. doing that. Amen. And so this uh, was an idea that, that uh, Bishop Adler remembered when he invented this. And, yeah. Uh, this is actually taken on the celebration of his consecration as our yep. first bishop, yep. first patriarch. And what's uh, remarkable is that uh, we decided that we were going to have an offering every year for the patriarch because the extra pressure and all the right, things that right. you carry being the patriarch. And so he said, well, the only way I'll allow that is if you allow me to give it for this purpose. Amen. And he immediately, uh, so it's really, there's a heart to it is what I'm telling Amen. There's really something behind it. And as we enter into that with him. Amen. That's right. praying for it every year that God uh, multiplies it differently, Amen. better exponentially. It's it's so much a part of that spiritual battle that Jesse was talking about. You know, this is our this is our stone that we're firing at the world to give places around the world for the people of God to worship God. Entering into the battle. So there's an yeah. element of that. You know, I remember in fact I would probably if I preached today I would have preached about some of my experiences going to Africa and seeing uh, seeing what these people do over there and how Incredibly, they're just so delighted and uh, thankful to be members of this little Amen. That's right. CEC. And they know because the, the MO over in Africa is the missionaries go over there and they hook them up by building them all these things and they throw right. a lot of money at it. We didn't have any money. We had a lot more people wanting to come to us than we could ever possibly support. So right. we had to just tell them, you, you really got the wrong people. We, don't, we can't even afford bishops to come over here and train you. And yet they wanted to be a part of what we're doing. Amen. Good people. Good people. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body of blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Stay safe. 
believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. Come you of much faith and you who have little, you who've been here often or you who haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow and you who've failed, you come because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his table and it's his will that those who want him would meet him here. So come. The Lord be with you. 
with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks to Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death. He's called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. So all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn, praise. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted, he took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. Remember especially those who are sick or infirm in spirit, soul, or body this day. We hold up 
Connie and Susan and Carl and Serena and Naomi, Nadia, Kyle and Sonia and Maria, Sandra and Karen, Tammy, Kyla, Gavin, Jean, Sandra, Mark and Diane, Raul, Mario, Patrick, the Marines and Sailors at Camp Pendleton, Sam. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed, become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all, make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we be, praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours. Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Honey of Christ, cup of my salvation, the blood of the Lord.
beginning of our summer vacation season, and uh, we got people coming and going now. Phil and Kelly just got back with their family from vacation, uh, so we can work them pretty hard all summer. Uh, Father Lewis is going away for three weeks, and uh, hopefully it'll be a church when you get back. I don't know. <laughs> this guy's he's a mover and shaker around here, but he probably more than anybody needs a break, and so we reluctantly allowed that. <laughs> so they're they're going to be going. It's kind of a working vacation actually for him. Uh, but so keep keep people in your prayers. It's you know I encourage you to get up every morning and pray. You want things to pray about. There's so many things if you start thinking about it that you could pray about, and that's certainly one of them during the summer. We we want people to be safe and uh, we want them to have amazing moments. Grace Barnes just got back. She went on a long trip. And had a wonderful time, very successful. God watched over her. Those are the kind of trips we want. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart, through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember this, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always. Go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.